Welcome to Parkview. We're glad that you're here. Really, really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for that. Good to be back. Um, let me tell you one thing that went on this week because it's really cool. We had, uh, we've had this VBS program over the weekends uh, leading up to this, uh, this past uh, Friday night, big closing program. And the kids were going to raise money for wells to dig, dig water wells in Turkana. And let me just tell you the one story that's so uh, gut-wrenching about that. The, the Turkana, Africa is one of the places where we're working, where we built a school and, uh, and, and a church, and we're trying to help people. And uh, they dug one well there. It was, they had to go down three feet to find water. Three feet. You heard me right. I mean, I think they could have taken one of those spears, you know, and, 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 and gotten water. And, and, the, and the people just started weeping when they dug, when, when the water started coming up, both for the fact that they would have clean water and for the fact that their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents had walked nine miles to find clean water, and it was three miles down. That, that, that's, that's what we're trying to do and trying to impact that. So the VBS kids decided they would raise money for it. Um, here's a couple pictures of some of them going out and doing some things, having lemonade stands. I mean, you just gotta, you gotta love this. They're raising, you know, they're raising awareness. They're selling corn door to door. Some of the kids did. I mean, they just came up with these things on their own, and, and they came up with this total. It was going to be $2,500 to be able to, uh, to do uh, one well, and so they thought, you know, that would be their goal that they could do, and, and we, could, we could dig one well. Uh, well, um, as it all turned out, they ended up with uh, four wells, um, so really, really cool. And that, that, just, that just all came from the kids. I mean, that was just like them, you know, thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like to not have clean water. That's what I love about that. Um, and so I was challenged to take the ice bucket challenge, of course, you know, by multiple people along the way. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I love the ALS research thing, but I thought, I'm going to hijack this thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to raise funds. So I'm, I'm going to show you what I did last night in the baptistry and challenge you to go to this website. Go ahead and put this slide up. Uh, just parkviewchurch.com, Turkana Water, and, uh, and donate there so that we can do ALS too if you want. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to make this ice bucket challenge go for Turkana water. And here it is last night in the tub. <laughs> so there you go. There's your challenge back at you. I hope you are ready for a rock and fall. Are you ready for a rock and fall? It may be, uh, may be a little bit scary, but I hope that you're ready for it. Uh, that's uh, my friend Brian Head Welsh, the lead guitarist for Corn, scaring our youth pastor's baby half to death at the North American Christian Convention. Isn't that awesome? That's, uh, that's baby Addie. She's like, get him away from me. Fun, fun thing about that is I'm taking Brian to uh, Dave Ramsey's company on Wednesday morning, and we're going to do our little interview thing together uh, for Dave Ramsey's 400 employees. And I'm hoping, so watch my Twitter feed on Wednesday, as I'm hoping for a picture kind of like that with Head and Dave Ramsey. I mean, I think that'd be, you know, that might make the radio show. Uh, it was a great convention. Those of you that were praying for me, I just want to say thank you. That was way back in July. Seems a long time ago now, but uh, Head was a part of it. We had, you know, a, a lot of great mainliners speaking, but about 9,000 church leaders from around the country uh, were a part of this, as well as uh, people in multiple countries watching it online, so much so, so many of you were trying to watch it on Tuesday night that we crashed the feed uh, because, you know, there were so many people watching it. But more importantly, it just really went well. I mean, I really felt like everything that we prayed for, I mean, this was a two-year process for my wife and I and for our team to put this convention together, and everything went great. The preaching part for me was great, and 
everything just went really, really well. So now I'm praying as we, uh, as we roll on that we will be able to, to help some churches. We took a little catatonic vac- vacation along the way, and then I started working on the sermons for other churches to use for this. And we'll start selling these week after next. This is my first and only a new book called Life on Mission uh, that Rick Warren has written the forward to, and he's going to help me push it out there. So that's kind of a big deal. And uh, it's about God's people finding God's heart for the world. It's about how we all need to be on mission. And we put it together with DVD teaching from me and a, and a small group guide and a kit that uh, hundreds of churches have around the, around the country right now, and we're, and we're giving more and more out along the way, that they will do a 40 days of mission program. So I, I, that's, a, that's the next big, big thing on the horizon for me is this 40 days of mission program. We will start it here and pilot it September 27th weekend. That'll be our first weekend. So we're going to be looking for you to, to you know, get your material, to get in a small group, to host a small group, because we want to have a bunch of these small groups. Six weeks is all it is. And I'll be preaching all, all of those six weeks, and, and we're going to be involved. It'll be the pilot so that hopefully other churches will pick this up and, and, and transform their church. The, the problem is most churches aren't, aren't reaching their Jerusalem. They're not reaching the people around them. 195 million unchurched Americans makes us the fourth largest or third largest, maybe now, mission field in the world. And we're living right here. And so that's a problem that I want to solve, and that's what we're going to be headed towards. While I was gone, you had some uh, great speakers, didn't you? Thank you for being nice to my friends. Really appreciate that. Um, they, they were, every one of them was really thrilled to be here and they loved it. I, I loved sharing you with them and them with you and that's just really a lot of fun. Um, and then like I said last week, I was supposed to be on last weekend and, and Rick Warren wanted me and us to go over and represent a church that was going to take a country to the people that were also there. There were 30 more African countries represented while we were there and some other pastors. So I went over there, but I, I sent you the sermon, you know, with the crows and the, and the rain. And um, I thank you for getting along with that. Hopefully next time I do that, it'll be Maui and it'll be seagulls that, you know, because <laughs> if that worked, I mean, why not, right? Um, watch it online if you didn't see it last week, because this driven thing all goes together. Uh, and, and here, I'll give you a little piece of this. I'm going to give you more of it next weekend. I know it's Labor Day, but I'm going to be up, and I'm going to tell you some more about Africa. The Rwanda trip was amazing, not just to help get other churches involved, but also for me to get my head wrapped around the things that are going on in the church as a whole, okay? And I'll update you more along with that, but um, it, was, it was really a pivotal moment for me to be in Africa again. I was there last year, but to be there has changed some things, and I'll share more of that last week. I took my 21-year-old daughter, 21 year old daughter Becca. Um, she's a uh, you know, tall, beautiful American girl, so um, you know, she got a, a lot of stares. Um, one, one guy said, can I have your daughter for the rest of my life? I said, tough luck, my friend, but the answer is no. And he said, the number one song in America. Have you been listening to country music all summer? What has been going on? And he said, why you got to be so rude? I, I love that song because I'm, I'm the dad and I really don't care. I, I mean, I'm sorry, you know? But, but don't you get frustrated when things don't work like they're supposed to? I mean, if you're going to your girlfriend's dad to ask for her hand in marriage, you expect the answer to be yes, right? You, I mean, because he's going to, what is he going to do anyway? He's going to marry her anyway. Okay, yeah, just, just start listening to the radio again, please, for crying out loud. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, 
He's, you just want things to work out in life better. I'm one of those guys that gets frustrated when things in life don't work very well. And that's why I switched to Mac, right? I could not hit Control-Alt-Delete one more time. I'm sorry, Bill Gates. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I just get so frustrated with it that I changed over. And I love it when somebody solves a problem. I absolutely love it, right? I mean, it's, it's almost Labor Day, right? We might as well start talking about Christmas. What is the most frustrating thing... What is the most frustrating thing about Christmas to you? For me, it's the lights. It's the Christmas lights, right? Like, my kids are only home. Like, that's the only time they come home is at Christmas. So I'm going to put up my Christmas lights. I want to make sure the house looks good. And there's nothing that drives me crazier than to spend, you know, freeze my tail off out there putting up Christmas lights, you know, go off to work, come home the next day, and see that one of the strands of lights is out, right? It's a, you know what I'm saying? It's not that frustrating. I mean, it's a Clark Griswold moment for all of us, right? And we know, we know we live in Chicago. We know we got snow and rain. We know that part of the problem with our Christmas lights is moisture. So let me just see a show of hands. How many of you tried something like this to try to make sure that your Christmas lights stayed on? All right. Go ahead and do this, okay? Right? All right. This is, this is the beautiful solving the problem story. Enter our hero, Parkview's own Mary Beth Nooner. She solved the problem with a Dasani water bottle. <laughs> well, it gets better, okay? Her husband, Brian, uh, one of my good friends, thought, oh, wait a minute, this is a good idea. So he figured out how to make a prototype, how to get a patent, and how to start marketing the, ladies and gentlemen, twist and seal. Yeah, oh yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? All right, now listen, they took it to the, okay, here's, here, here's, the, here's the model of the big one. So you got two cords that you're putting together. You put them in here together, and there's a, little, there's a little foam thing inside, and you seal it all up, and you twist it all, and you seal it, and it's waterproof. And so your, power, your lights won't go out. It's great, right? They took it to the National Hardware Show last year and won Product of the Year Award with it. They hit, I know, I know, I love it. They hit the market last October, and they have sold one million units. Isn't that, don't you just love that? I mean, I love that because they go to Parkview, and, you know, they got a tithe. I love that story. <laughs> Woo! They even can't, I, they keep coming up with stuff now because Brian's crazy. That's the cord dumb. If you have multiple cords going into the same thing, they are now in Home Depot, Target, Lowe's, Ace, and soon to be Walmart and Myers. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Just a, a water, just an idea how to fix things. I love that. I mean, I wish I had the idea, but if I had, most of us had the idea, we just didn't know how to put it all in, into action, right? And, and the stuff that you don't like, you can either complain about it or you can fix it, Okay. So I'm a church leader. The stuff that is wrong in my life and the stuff, and I've spent a lot of time with a lot of church leaders lately, the stuff that's wrong with the church, I'm the guy who wants to fix it. I'm not the complainer about it. I just want to fix it. And I would say, I'm just making this stat up, but I don't think anybody's going to argue with me. If, if America is now the third largest mission field in the world, I would say that 90% of the churches in the U.S. right now are not working well. And if there are other pastors listening to me right now, you're probably saying, yeah, amen. And he comes in on Monday, and the lights are out, and pastors are like a mad Clark Griswold on Monday. I don't know if you know that or not. You're kicking Santa over, getting his chainsaw out at the neighbors, getting a little help from Jack Daniels, whatever they can do on Monday. Trust me, I get it. Really, really interesting to think about this. 
as I was in Africa, because as we get ready, and if you, if you, if I didn't explain the beginning of that, we are we are going to take the country of Malawi and 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 help work on the country of Malawi in Africa together uh, with the peace plan, with Saddleback, with all the churches working together, um, probably with the you know with the president's help of Malawi. I mean, crazy opportunity for us. But but here's the thing that's been rolling around in my brain: as we go over to Malawi and start over and help, there are already a lot of churches there. The Presbyterian Church is the biggest church, but the Catholic Church is big there, the Baptist. There's lots of churches there. They just are broken. They're really, really broken. And the whole culture is broken. So as we start thinking about how we're going to go over and try to help them so that we can get AIDS down from the 12 to 14% of the population that it is right now, so that we can get the mortality rate, mothers having babies, mortality rate is 55-0%. Half the women having babies over there die. I mean, that, that's the kind of place where we're going. And we can fix that. We can take heaven to earth. And we can fix that, but it's going to take the church. And if it's going to take the church, then we have to rethink the whole process and what's broken with it. Do you see what I'm saying? Which is great because then if we've got to go over there and fix what's wrong with that church, that means I've got to figure out what's wrong with our church and what's wrong with the churches over there, over here. I had to do that. So here's the deal. I'm convinced that most of the church's problems are happening because we've gotten away from the model of the church in here. The church in here worked, okay? It had problems. That's why most of the New Testament was written, was to address the problems, but it worked. Christianity blew up at the beginning. So, so how, do we do, how, how do we fix the problem? Well, sometimes you can convince something new like the twist and seal, and sometimes you can just go back to the old way of doing things. You can go back to the source. You can go back to figuring out how Jesus wanted it done in the first place and discover the purpose of what the church is supposed to be. And we can't teach the churches in Malawi how to do it if we don't understand it ourselves. And I believe that we are not a church that has a bunch of problems. We're a church that's really figured this out, but it's still good for us to go back and have a reminder. And for a lot of you who are new, that's what these three weeks have been about. It's been about a reminder to help you to understand why we are driven to do the things that we do. We are driven by purpose. We are purpose-driven. Rick Warren says it this way, by a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment. A great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe, to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. We have a, a great commitment to the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to do, to go and to make disciples and to teach all nations. We also have a great commitment to the great commandment, which is what? Jesus, they, they asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? And he said, well, obviously the first one is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second one like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. A great commitment to those two things gives us our purpose, gives us what we're supposed to be about as a church. And, and the problem that I see in a lot of churches is that we've, we've We've gotten away from the simplicity of the model that Jesus gave us in the first place. It was not supposed to be this hard. It was not supposed to be this difficult. There are five purposes for our life. If you read Purpose Driven Life, you know what I'm talking about. Worship. We worship God. Ministry. We get involved. Evangelism. We tell other people. Fellowship. We share together. And discipleship. We help each other grow and we grow in our spiritual life. Those are our five purposes for our life. 
And if we can agree on that, then, and, and we know that this is what happened in the book of Acts, then we can transform South Chicago land, and then we can transform Malawi, and then we can, you know, we can take this on out, back out to the world. So what I've done in the last couple of weeks is I've, um, I've gone back to the book of Acts, to the very beginning of the book of Acts. I didn't get very far into it. I just wanted to spend some time at the beginning. There's already a problem by Acts chapter 5, and a lot of things are going on by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts. Trust me, I know the first church wasn't perfect, all right? But I just thought, you know, I was hanging out with Rick Warren too much. I thought, I'd make an acronym out of this, and we'll call you. We'll look at Park View and figure out, you know, I mean, I can pull the principles of this thing out of there in two sermons. So last week we talked about, again, you can watch it online. Last week we talked about the P for Park View. And what does that stand for? Powered by the Spirit, or powered by the Spirit. God said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I talked about how it's got to be God's power and not our power. And I believe that everything that you see around you and all of the ministry that has happened through this church has been because of God's power. We weren't always on the right schedule. Sometimes we get ahead of God. Sometimes we get behind God. But it's got to be through God's power. This stuff doesn't happen on our own. A was for all in. All the believers had everything together and they were all in common. There was a unity among them. And that's one of the huge things that we're going to have to do when we go into Africa is to get everybody playing together, you know, all the different denominations. And that's what they've done in Rwanda. It's been amazing. Uh, everybody, the Catholics, the Presbyterians, the Assembly of God, the, the Jehovah Witness, uh, the, the Seventh-day Adventists, I mean, uh, even people that are you know, coming at it from a different angle, they're all working together over there so that they can make sure that this gospel brings heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And that's what we've got to do in Malawi. R is for risk, because, um, you know, the Bible says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid of what God was going to do. They didn't play prevent defense, right? K was for koinonia, which was the Greek term for fellowship. Fellowship is family. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It was family. And who didn't want to be a part of that? So that was last week. Let's go to V. What would the V be for? V is for volunteer. Volunteer. All the believers were together, the Bible says. I mean, this is kind of what I did for all in, but I'm going to take you, take you at a little different angle with it. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. What I want you to notice here is nobody asked them to do it, all right? All the believers down to Acts chapter 4 were one in heart and mind. There's that all-in thing again. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's volunteer. That's, I'm going to do it because I want to. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully, I love this sentence, God's grace was so powerfully at work at them that there were no needy persons among them. I mean, there wasn't like a benevolence fund where, you know, the preacher got up and said, hey, you guys, we got, you know, we got this widow down here and we really need to take care of her. No, they just shared everything and if somebody had a need, they took care of it. Time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. It's a volunteer spirit. All in is about the attitude Volunteer is about the action. All in means they gave everything they had. Volunteer is about the fact that nobody had to twist their arm to get them to do something. And the problem with, I think, America is that a lot of Christians 
are basically Ron Swanson, you know? Do not walk behind me for I may not lead. Do not walk ahead of me for I may not follow. Do not walk beside me either. Just pretty much leave me alone. A little zen sarcasm for you today, right? The, the key phrase in there is they had everything together. Key phrase is, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared. They were a part of a team and they willingly got in the game. And it was everybody, not just a few people. I mean, you understand the 80-20 principle. It's true, and, and, and you know, 20% of what you do as a business pr- pr- gives you 80% of the results. And, and the same thing is true in a church, that 20% of what we do gives us 80% of the results. And it's also true that 20% of the people give you 80% of the results. And in most churches, it's 20% of the people that are doing the volunteer work in the church, and getting 80% of the work done. And that's really probably true in our church as well. And that's way... Even worse than that in Malawi, as I'm sitting there talking to these, these pastors from Malawi, they, they've kind of got the old parish system going on over there, where there, there's a pastor and he gets moved every through. I mean, this was Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, all of them. He would, the preacher, the pastor would get moved every three years to another place because they hadn't had a pastor for a while. So you never got to know the people. And that pastor was responsible for doing everything. And they had, these guys I was talking to this week said that they average a funeral a day because of AIDS and HIV. They, ha- they average a funeral a day. And then they have their Sunday services and they gotta go visit the sick and they gotta go take of everything. And every one of them that I talked to was exhausted. And, and it was really boggling my mind because it, it, it kind of felt like everybody had just gone backwards in time. And that's kind of what Africa is. It's, it's kind of like you, you know, you, you've got a lot of old ways of looking at things along the way. But I, I turned to the African pastors, I said, what does your church do with Acts chapter 6? And they just shook their heads. They just don't get it. See, what happened was in, in the first five chapters of Acts, the church is blowing up and the apostles are all there and they're, they're making sure that they're the pastors of everybody and taking care of everything. And then you get to Acts chapter 6 and it, and it starts to become a problem because there's no way this is going to work going forward. There's no way 12 guys could be the pastors to all these people. They started with 3,000 on the first day. By the time we get to Acts 6, there's no telling how many thousands of people are there. So finally, they decide they need to spread the work around. Brothers... The apostle said, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. And so they went and picked seven people, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, and they disseminated the work out to other, the rest of the congregation. And it says, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. See, that's what can happen. That's what can happen when we allow it to happen, when we don't stranglehold ministry by the people that are paid to do it. All right? The people that are paid to do it are the ones that are supposed to be training you to help you to learn to do ministry. That's how it works. And growth is always going to be problem, bring problems. That's always going to be the way that it is. And they quickly figured out that the only way this is going to work is for us to get everybody involved, which is exactly how it was supposed to be. The problem with a lot of the things that you guys see out there is that you'll, you'll come up with some idea. Somebody will come up with an idea and say, you know what? We need to have this ministry. And what you mean by that is, you know, you guys ought to start this ministry, right? You know, we really need a ministry to left-handed people because they're discriminated against. And you know, what, what you're saying is we need this ministry. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. We don't need this ministry. You need this ministry. 
If God's calling you to do it, don't wait for us to get around it. Don't wait for us to do something about it. You need to do it. Not me, not us, not us. We. That means you're a part of it. Rick Warren says the average church is a lot like the average Sunday afternoon fo- professional football game. 22 people on the field desperately needing rest. 75,000 people up in the stands desperately needing exercise. <laughs> I got an email yesterday from a guy who started a, a, a ministry to repair bikes for, to give away to single moms and to the homeless. It was part of the homeless thing that, that, we, that got started, that didn't get started from the church. Doreen started it in her basement, started taking care of homeless people, right? Great, great story. So he heard it. He started repairing bikes. He sent me, and he sent me this in relation to my blog. If you haven't read my blog, I talk a lot more about how we need to get the work out to everybody. It's timharlow.com. Go read that this week. He sent me this, and he was like, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. Do you think I'm doing the right thing? And I said, wait a minute, let me get this right. He's repaired 122 bikes so far. People donate bikes. He repairs them and gives them out to other people. And he said, am I doing this right? I said, I want to kiss you on the face. I, what are you talking about? He didn't just say, hey, why don't you go do this? He just did it. That's the volunteer spirit. He just went and did it, okay? The Bible says all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. We're all supposed to help each other out. That's how they did it. And nobody had to twist their arm. I got behind a guy in a pickup truck with a great bumper sticker the other day. He said, yes, this is my pickup. No, I won't help you move. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that, okay? That, that's not a very good idea when it comes to the things that we're doing in the church. You understand this, right? It's not a good idea at all. I mean, we need everybody to work together. I mean, I keep thinking about this like a family. It's really important that you understand what a family is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about all of us working together. I don't know if you understand this, but, you know, at our house, everybody had a job, everybody in the family. We all had our jobs, And even now that our kids are gone, when they come home, my wife assigns each one of the girls and and her husband, if she's one of the married ones, to to, to take care of one of the meals at the holiday or whatever time we're together. She splits it up. Listen, (laughs) if, if, if you have people that live in your house and you never make them do anything, they're probably gonna live there forever. Please, please don't give any amens right now. The, the family is supposed to work together. What I'm saying is, if you're a member of Parkview and, and, and you don't serve and you don't give and you're not connected in a small group, you're basically an adult child living at home. And, and if you, you know, just want to play Xbox, there's some down in the fifth grade room down there for you, but really it'd be good for all of us to jump in and be a part of the family. John Wooden said, great coach, John Wooden said, the man who puts the ball through the hoop has ten hands. Everything that gets done around here is about all of us, uh, Peter said. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. That, that's how it should work. We're a family, okay? So, you know, one more weekend, we got this in your bulletin. Pull this out. I want you to see it. This is just a simple, easy way. Now, here's what, here's what I want to tell you. As we get into life on mission, we're going to serve outside. I I do not want, you'll hear me talk about this in a second, I do not want everybody serving inside and just serving inside, but you know what? There's some stuff that needs to get done in the family. 
You know, somebody's got to cook, somebody's got to clean, somebody's got to, you know, wash the clothes. I mean, these things need to happen. We need everybody to jump in and just try it. Just, just fill this out and just try it. If you don't like it, it's no big deal. If it doesn't work out for you, it's okay. It's some simple little things like the kids team or the guest services or, or worship team. I and mean, we've got a lot of things, or, or I don't even know, give me, a, give me something to do. We can give you something to do and you can jump in and you can help us. It would be that simple. We need you. Hand them in, put them in the offering on the way in or on the way out, or give them to one of the people out there on the way out, and jump in and volunteer. That's how the first church got started. All right. I is for inspired. It's for inspired. It says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, they didn't, they didn't do Oprah's book club. They didn't do something else. You know, it was all about the apostles' teaching. It was all about, and that was the word of God. You need to understand, that was all the word of God they had at that point. And I want to help you to understand something about Parkview if you're new. We are totally 100% committed to this book, to this document. This is the word of God, and we are going to be inspired by this. And I'm going to teach this, and I'm going to preach this, and this is what it's going to be. Now, sometimes I get a question because there are some churches and preachers that think that the only way to do this is to go through it verse by verse. That's called expository. And sometimes we do that. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not biblical. Couldn't have been biblical because there was nothing written down for this first church to go through. They just went through the apostles' teaching. They went through the general principles. And when you hear a sermon from me or anybody else on this stage, you're going to hear probably a lot more scripture than you would if we were going through it verse by verse. And there will be times when we do go through it verse by verse. So we're going to take both approaches. But one way or another, what you're going to hear is the Word of God. Now here's where you come in. If you're going to be inspired by the Word of God, we need you to do something about it as well. Like read it. Like try to understand some of it. You know? Like, like here's what Peter said. Peter said, you're like newborn babies. You need to crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow up to your salvation. That's really, really good. All right, you need to do that. If you are a young Christian, it's the milk, okay? You're reading the simple parts of it. We'll get you some Bible studies that you can do on your own. It doesn't have to be that difficult. If you don't understand it, just keep going and find something else. It's a big book of 66 books. There's a lot of stuff in there, but you're gonna have to do it on your own because if all you're doing, I mean, I'm just thinking as we're singing that worship song, I want more, I want more, and then I'm gonna leave I'm not going to get anything until I come back next Sunday, and I want more, I want more. Really? I mean, is that, is that going to do you any good? You like go to Old Country Buffet on Sunday and then not eat the rest of the week? How does that make any sense? And some of you have been sucking on a bottle way too long. A Hebrew writer said, solid food is for the mature it's time to learn to use a spoon, man. Come on. You've trained yourself to distinguish good and evil. The early church couldn't get enough of the teaching of the Word of God. C.H. Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. E is for enjoy. Uh, th th this is my favorite one. Might, might be my favorite part of the whole deal, all right? It's to enjoy. Um, here, here, here's, what, here's what it says. I, you know, I'm looking through here. I'm thinking, well, can I, get a le you know, can I get a word that begins with a letter? Or do I need to, you know, take a little stretch like I did with Koinonia? But this, is, this one's obvious. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
praising God and, here it is, enjoying the favor of all the people. And that next sentence is just kind of a duh, you know? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, duh. Who doesn't want to be with these people, right? You could translate that. The early church knew how to partay. Listen, glad and sincere hearts, enjoying the favor of all the people. It was fun. It was joyful. Last year, somebody sent me the, you know, one of those PowerPoints of the pictures of the year. And there's just, you know, some photography that's just spectacular. And I pulled this one out and I filed it because I thought this speaks to me in a really crazy way. Look at this picture. (coughs) That is um, St. Paul's Church in the background and the Bavarian Oktoberfest on the left, right? And I'm, and I'm looking, this is Munich, Germany. And I'm looking at this picture and I'm thinking, there's such a paradox there. Because what that looks like to me is, I can either go over to there and be really bored out of my mind, or I can go to Oktoberfest and grab a stein and take a swing up really high and go, wee! I, I can go over there and go, hum, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> or, or I can go over here and go, wee! So, so which place do you think I want to go, right? And, and, right, thank you. So welcome to the Wee Church, because that's who we are. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out. (laughs) That's who they were. That's Acts chapter 2. We is in the Greek there. You can't read it, but it's right there. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts and said, Wee! I'm trying to figure out how you could put that, you know, that swing thing on top of the steeple so that at least you could kind of combine everything, right? Because that's what really ought to happen. King David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why wouldn't we? Why can't the church be happy? Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Why can't that be the way it is? They enjoyed in the first church. A lot of you came from churches that uh, there was no joy, no enjoy at all. Well, this is going to be different. I love this artist, Jean Harden. She, uh, Jean Keaton, she paints Jesus pencil drawings, and, and he's always smiling. I just love that because that's who he was. I think we all love that part in the Passion movie where Jesus is messing around with his mom and running around the table and, you know, just, just being a human being. What is your image of God, anyway? Well, who do you think this God is? Is he some mean guy up there with lightning bolts just looking around to see who's going to tick him off? No, he's your, he's your father. A.W. Tozer said, we should, to begin with, think that God leads a very interesting life, and secondly, that he is full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. Now, I love having fun with my kids. We, have, we still have a trampoline in our backyard. I know, I know, they're bad, whatever, get over it, get a, get a net, I don't care. We had so much fun on that trampoline. 
Uh, well, actually, it's probably the third one we had because we wore them out. And I've still got it in my backyard. You know why? Because the neighbor kids come over. Um, um, my insurance guy's back there. I make them sign a waiver. Um, they, they come over. They come over and they jump on, on my trampoline. And it, it just, I mean, you know, just the sounds. It just, makes me, just re- makes me remember what it was like when my kids were around. And I, and I did that with them. I enjoyed that. I enjoy being with my kids when we get the chance to do that. I love, love, love to be with my kids. But you know the other thing I love? I love hearing them have fun with each other. You know, I got three daughters, and they share the same bathroom. And even when they're home now, you know, two of them with their husbands, and we're all there, they're still in that bathroom. And I can hear them sometimes, all three of them together, and they're laughing and talking. I love that as a father. Don't you think he does too? What kind of father wants his kids to be serious and boring and dull with each other all the time? He's not serious and boring and dull. I had a great note from a person a couple of weeks ago, and basically what it said was, you know, we'd been really from a bad church background, and we just needed to rest. And she said, the first thing I noticed about PCC was that the people were happy. And I thought, well, that probably says it all. We have the hope. We have the joy. We have the Prince of Peace. We have the joy of the Lord. We ought to be happy. So if you come here, expect to laugh on occasion. That's going to be a part of the deal. It's good for you. It's a happy place. We're going to say, wee! <laughs> W's for witness. Witness. That's this book that I wrote. Um, Jesus said, I want you to be a witness to Jerusalem, okay? Not an evangelist, not a salesman, not a uh, prosecuting attorney, just a witness. That's what this whole thing is going to be about. And as they went and became a witness to their culture, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People ask me all the time, Tim, what, what is it that, you know, what, what do you put in the, you know, in the communion juice? Why are you growing so fast? Why are you one of the fastest growing churches in the, in the country? You know, what's the secret sauce there? And I tell them it's two things. It's because A, people like it here, and B, people are finding God here. And it's really, that's all there is to it. What makes a restaurant work? Advertising, maybe, you know, but, but, but usually it's word of mouth that makes something work. Usually it's, it, it's the viral nature of people saying, hey, you ought to go there. If a restaurant says they have really good quality food and even gets a good review somewhere and I drive there at 7 o'clock on Saturday night and there's two cars in the parking lot, I'm not going in, right? What, what makes it work is that the people on the inside are getting what they need. And holy cow, when, the people, when you realize that what God is doing in people's lives, it, the outreach is just a natural byproduct. You know, I mean, back in the day, and I'm not really knocking this, but back in the day, we would have outreach programs, and we would all learn how to memorize these little, you know, these things, and these scriptures, and these things to ask, and these things to say, and then we'd go, and we'd be really uncomfortable sharing with somebody who was also really uncomfortable this little program that we memorized together, and I don't really think that's how it happened in the book of Acts. That may still need to happen, but in the book of Acts, it was just a natural thing. Outreach was natural. They were just a witness. It was just one beggar telling another beggar how to find bread. And if God is, is, is working in your life and Jesus has become a friend to you and a savior to you, then you're going to tell people about it, and your life is going to be on mission. And you know what, he, he, you know what, what happened in the early church was that they liked being together so much that God had to split them up. He literally did. I mean, they, they were, the outreach was so natural that, like I said uh, last week, by the 25th anniversary, there were probably 100,000 people in a church in a town of 200,000. So what happened? Well, 
Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it says that God sent persecution to the church so that it would scatter them out, so that they could go be witnesses to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. God sent that. Why? Because he wanted the pastors to stay there, the apostles stayed there, but those who had scattered, the Bible says, preached the word wherever they went, and the word of God spread. That's what's supposed to happen, all right? Pastors are supposed to train you and be in here, and then hopefully it won't be persecution. Hopefully it'll just be your own motivation to go back to your business, to go back to your neighborhood, to go back to your school and your friends, and you go back and be a witness. That's how it was supposed to work. Christianity is not some kind of thing that happens on the weekend and then you go back to your other little box over here. It's supposed to spread that way. And the problem with a lot of churches, and I'm going to beat this up pretty good when I get into my program on Life on Mission, the problem with most churches is that they measure their spirituality by how many times you come in to the church. Right? Some of us grew up, you know, if you're a Christian, you came on Sunday. And if you're a good Christian, you came on back on Sunday night to a sermon that a preacher just threw together at five o'clock. I know I was one and my dad was too. And then if you were really spiritual, you came back on Wednesday night to the prayer meeting. And then if you were super spiritual, you also went calling on Tuesday night and you were in a Dorcas circle and you did everything else. And your spirituality was measured by the amount of times that you came in. I want to tell you that it's time to change the paradigm because that's not what they did in the book of Acts. Their spirituality was measured by how many times they went out. Because Jesus didn't say, come into the church with the world. He said, go into all the world. So many Christians are so busy with their Christian stuff, they don't have time to go out and be where they need to be, where God has called them to be a witness. So that's what we're going to work on. You guys are great at it, but we're going to work on it, and we're going to help other churches around the country, and hopefully it'll catch on. Parkview, powered by the Spirit, all in, Risky, full of koinonia, family, fellowship, loving each other, volunteer spirit, jumping in without twisting your arm, inspired by the word of God, enjoying the favor of God and each other, having fun, and a witness to the world. That, that's what this church is. If that's what you want, welcome. If that's not what you want, bye-bye. There was a nursery rhyme a lot of us learned in, when we were little. Um, this is the church, right? Got this? Everybody do this if you know what I'm t- saying, right? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up, and there's all the people. It wasn't until college that I realized that's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> that, that, was, that was not the biblical principle from the book of Acts. I mean, there, was, there were no buildings. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have steeples. You know, there wasn't some place that everybody ran to to get away from the world and they could hunker down in there. It wasn't until college that I figured that out. As a matter of fact, the New Testament does not even mention most of the things that dominate the conversations in most of the churches in, in the world today, right? There's no mention of communion tables or pulpits or pews, or stained glass, or, or screens, or flags, or organs, or guitars, or drums, or decorative crosses. N- no mention of any of that stuff. None of those things are, are right or wrong. They're just not that important. Because the church isn't in here. The church is out there. That's what we are driven to do. <coughs> That's what we're about as a church. 
and we need you. Amos Alonzo Stagg was one of the great football coaches in sports history. Some of you know that name because you went to Stagg High School, named for him in Palos. He was a pioneer in football and a crazy great football coach back in the day when football was just getting started. And as a coach, the story goes that he, he would keep his substitutes constantly alert by going to them with questions and saying, okay, what would you do here? What would you do here? Even if they might not play, he would go to them. And one afternoon, he turned to a fourth-string player who hadn't seen a single minute of playtime all year long. And he turned to him and he said, all right, you, Cartmel, what would you do if we had possession of the ball, one minute to play, the score was tied, and we only had four yards to go for a touchdown? The guy said, well, coach, I guess I'd slide down to the bench so I could get a better sh- shot. That's not what we're calling you for. That's not what God is calling you for. You're not going to be on the bench. The truth is Christianity is not about 22 people. It's about everybody. Everybody working together. So we're going to spend some time in worship. We're just going to listen to this very appropriately. This group of, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds who are all in, who, who, are, who are doing this all for us. They're just going to worship for us. I want you to spend a moment in worship, and then we'll come back together and have communion. We're going to have communion now. Um, you were made for worship. I mean, God made you, made mankind in the beginning so that he could have his children to have a relationship with. And that got busted up by Adam and Eve eating the, the one thing doing the one thing that God asked them not to do so that they could have freedom of choice. And they said, no, we're going to choose not to worship. We're going to choose not to have a relationship with you. And so from that time on, humanity has been fallen until the point where Jesus came, gave his life, gave his body and his blood that we will now partake of, and gave that as a sacrifice for us and died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay for all of our sins. And now we can be his children again. We are adopted. The book of Romans says we are adopted back into his family. Now you're made for worship again. Now you're made for his embrace again. You're part of his family. We are family. We're supposed to be in this together. As you take communion, I want you to, I want you to concentrate on that. You are God's child and he loves you. I also want you to understand that Jesus' responsibility was to come down and to die for us. We've all got things that God wants us to do so that we can go help him find the rest of his children that were made to worship. Not this. It's this. Let's pray. Lord, the sacrifice that you gave was too great. Father God, the sacrifice that you gave was too great. Um... I could never give my kid for anybody else. Um, And I don't understand how I would be possibly deserving, and I guess that's the point, because I'm not. It was all about your love. It's all about how much you want me to be your child. That's why you did it. And Jesus, you are willing to do it so that I could be adopted into this family and I could be with you forever. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and I thank you for that. As I think about that, then in relation to my life, 
Lord, this is, this is, a, this is, this is not supposed to be about guilt. I, I don't want to be guilting people. I want people to understand that as the family of God works better at Parkview, it'll work better in Malawi. And as the family of God works better all around the world, it's going to help more people be able to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And I also know that there is nothing like having a family that's together, that loves each other, serves each other, has fun together. There's nothing like that. Everyone wants to be in that family. And that's what we want to have. So as we take communion right now, Lord, thank you for making it possible for us to do that. And be with us in Jesus' name.